Now, you may remember that last week, if you were here, Jeanette talked about love and love of neighbour and living in community, if you can remember that that far back. This reading this week takes that a little bit further. So here we have Jesus being really annoying yet again, telling us something that goes against our basic human instincts. Here he says, love your enemies. And it's something that we've pretty much failed to do for about the last 2,000 years. But we're in good company. Uh, You'll notice that Jesus says, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbour and hate your enemy. Here, Jesus is supposedly quoting from Leviticus 19, the, the reading we had earlier. Did you hear that said in the reading? Yes? Yes, no. It wasn't there. It just said, love your neighbour as yourself. It didn't say, love your neighbour and hate your enemy. Leviticus 19 is a bit of a a list of do's and don'ts. It's basically, it's a form of instructions on how to live well together in community. How to get along with each other. And it finishes with, just love your neighbour as yourself. We have a saying in our house, when we don't really get on with another person, obviously I'm not going to mention any names, probably because it's been recorded, is it now? Oh, excellent. (laughs) Uh, We have a saying in our house that says, well, Jesus loves them so I don't have to. This is clearly, it's not very biblical. And and not Jesus' words at all. And it's pretty much the opposite of what Jesus said, actually. And that's pretty much what he's on about here. When he said, you've heard that it was said. The biblical law in Leviticus had been shaped to people's own prejudices, changed to suit the status quo. They hate us so we can hate them. They're not part of our community. They're not our neighbour. So we don't have to love them. This is the reason Jesus told the parable of the Good Samaritan, to challenge these preconceptions and prejudices of his people in the first century. They took the law out of context and moulded it to suit their needs. Thank God the Christian church has never done that. Well, talking of context, this whole thing about turning the other cheek, giving somebody your cloak when you don't want them to take, when they ask to take your shirt, and walking two miles when they make you walk one. We, now 2,000 years later, miss the meaning of this because we don't understand its context. Most of us have been taught that this reading is about the act of turning the other cheek is is being a meek pacifist. But if we lived in the first century under the Roman occupation, we would understand this as an act of resistance. Oh, will you please be quiet? Will we not sit here for the past half an hour just listen to you letter and letter in that horrible tool that you call an accent? I think it's absolute abhorrent. It is monstrous that we allow a woman like you to preach in our nice southern church. Well, do you know, I've never, ever, ever had a heckler before. 
It's just it's just because I'm taller than you, isn't it? No, it's not because of it's that. It's because I've got hair. No, it's not because you've got hair. <laughs> it is because you are from the north. We are a good, proud southern church, <laughs> and we should not allow this to happen. Oh, do you know? He's just turning into my enemy now. <laughs> yeah, obviously this hasn't been staged at all. Oh, no, no, I think, I think, come up here, because uh, I think I'm going to demonstrate the rest of this reading on you. I think, oh. he, I think he needs a slap, doesn't he? <laughs> just come over here, come over here. Right, in the, right, in the first century Palestine, okay, you ready? Jesus' followers are first-hand experience of being cuffed around the, around the face by a Roman. All right, yeah. <laughs> and, and they could only, there's only two things they could really do is either cower in submission or fight back. And if they fought back, they'd be arrested or killed. And we know from historical sources that Roman citizens saw themselves as superiors, a bit like southerners. Huh. And they would only hit their e- equals with a fist. So, you know, you there try. we go. I could. <laughs> so if they slapped somebody on the left cheek, and they did it with the no, right cheek, it says in the, the right cheek, they did it with the back of the hand like that. Or nearly. Should I do it a bit harder? <laughs> so... If they, or the person turned the other cheek, they can't actually hit them with the back of their hand. So, if you like, they turn right round. If you turn right round like that, the only thing I can do is hit you with my fist. <laughs> Thank you. That's a lovely demonstration. No worries. Uh, there we are. What would I do if I really got a heckler? That's the scary thing. <clears throat> so, this was a. Give him a clap, give him a clap. Thank you. This was an act of resistance, non-violent resistance. And the same goes for the other two. To take somebody's shirt was one thing. You could sue somebody and take their shirt, but you weren't allowed to leave them naked. So by giving them your cloak, it caused the, the other person, the Roman citizen, or it caused them to break the law, because public nudity was illegal, and you couldn't do that to somebody. And last week, you may remember that... Oh, no, sorry. Also, Roman soldiers were taught to face... uh, They were allowed to force a subordinate to carry their packs for one mile, but no further. And they had mile markers, which we know, because we've still got them in this country. And they were allowed to take them... They were allowed to make somebody take their pack a mile. So by taking it the extra mile, it would cause them some panic because they weren't allowed to do that. So this act of defiance renders the oppressor incapable of asserting their dominance in the relationship. By turning the other cheek, the, the inferior is saying, I'm a human being, just like you. I refuse to be humiliated any longer. I'm your equal. I won't take it anymore. And we've too long held the notion, I think, that there's only two choices open to us when we come face to face with violence. Either we take up arms and fight, or we just passively submit. But Jesus offers a third way. The way of creative, non-violent resistance 
may be the road less travelled, but it's certainly a road that has led to victory. In more recent years, rather than 2,000 years ago, many have chosen non-violence and managed to defeat their oppressors. Mahatma Gandhi used non-violent resistance to defeat the British occupation in India. In Denmark, thousands of Danes resisted the Nazi occupiers without using violence and saved the lives of thousands of Jews. And they uh, used a general strike to thwart the expansion of the occupation as well. And of course, Rosa Parks uh, began a movement of non-violent resistance and the vicious oppression of African Americans and set off loads of other non-violent actions like bus boycotts and lunch counter sit-ins and peaceful marches, and it changed a nation. And what might we say this week when we read in the news of uh, this British girl who was groomed by ISIS at the age of 15 and has sort of come to her senses and wants to come back to England? Now, I don't have an answer for you. I imagine there were a wide range of views just in this congregation. But what did Jesus' words, love your enemy, mean here? And I'll leave you to ponder that one, because I don't really have an answer. But another thing occurred to me when I was thinking about this gospel today and about this girl. If Jesus says, love your neighbour as you love yourself, can we truly love others if we don't love ourselves? I, I seem to spend, oh, I did spend the greater amount of 40 years actually hating myself before accepting who I was. Indeed, have you noticed that when people, that some people actually hate the qualities in other people that they hate in themselves? Bossy people can't stand other bossy people. Nosy people can't really, are really, really irritated by other nosy people. Hypersensitive people seem to lack patience with others. And, and you think, you just can't make this stuff up. But psychologists call this behaviour projection. It's one of the many dysfunctional habits. To, but in my experience, it's positively uncanny. that we can, And we can just see it everywhere. Eastern religions would probably classify it as karma. And I think they might maybe onto something in a way. These patterns do run like clockwork. They're now cyclical. And this form of projection helps me understand, I think, Jesus' command to love my enemies. You should love your enemies because your true enemy is yourself. Maybe the qualities that offend you in others are keys to missing pieces in yourself. We like to portray a glossy picture of ourselves, whether it's in our CV or our online dating profile or our Facebook page. But those documents rarely tell us the full story of who we are. Um, it's easier to think about those qualities that we like and ignore the, the, our less noble features. This is why there's lots of uh, um, filters on Instagram and, and, photo, and photographs so you can make yourself look better for the internet so people can see you for somebody completely different. When we hate other people, there's a reason why they annoy us so much and get under our skin. I think that it's because there's some unfinished emotional business here. We may try to disassociate ourselves from parts we don't like, 
or admit that we have or and project those traits onto others instead. It's, maybe it's denial. Perhaps the people who offend us the most offer us the key to our own wholeness. Now, that's, that's true. And our hatred of others is a projection of our own internal baggage. When we attempt to cut ourselves off, we are also cutting ourselves off from a part of ourselves. The messy, dark or dirty part of ourselves, but a part nonetheless. We can't be truly whole by definition unless we accept each and every part of ourselves. And in finding those pieces, we find wholeness, we find shalom, we find peace, the peace that passes all understanding. You can't hate somebody without turning into them. Even if our dislike of others does not start off as projection of ourselves, we continue to process the hatred and we will eventually will turn into the very thing we hate the most. It's like a Greek tragedy. It's what happened to Darth Vader in Star Wars. If you've ever watched that. Uh, You become what you hate. The The only way to out of this inevitable trap is not to hate them. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hurt you. Pray for those who persecute you. It all makes sense. Hatred will take control of you, which is why love is the path of true freedom. Jesus brings us into unity with all the cosmic and microscopic, the external and internal. Yes, Jesus is calling all of creation into oneness, but in doing so, let's not forget, he's calling each individual person into wholeness with her or himself in the process. Our enemies always tell us something about ourselves. Our enemies are our best teachers. Oneness is the ultimate reality that Jesus pointed towards. The truth is evident in many shapes and many ways. But to me, our tendency to self-reject our self-hatred onto others shows me the wisdom of Jesus. Amen.